This is an ABC podcast. Hey there, Ange McCormack with you, filling in for Dave Marchese on the Hack podcast. I'm sure you know all about white noise. It's kind of like TV static. But did you know there's something else called brown noise? There's also something called pink noise. If you have a hard time falling asleep, people on TikTok are convinced that brown noise is the answer. Coming up on this episode, we'll get an expert to fact check that and she'll answer all your questions about sleep. Plus, we're heading to Canberra today. The government's put on this huge conference to figure out Australia's job crisis. So coming up in a moment, you'll find out if they've come up with a way for you to get a pay rise. I know we all are keen for one of those. Stay with me for those stories coming up on the Hack podcast. Hack. You know, it's, a, it's a real wake-up call for the music industry to know that these issues are quite pervasive. On Triple J. Being a musician has to be one of the most glamorous jobs out there, right? You're doing gigs, playing festivals, touring the world. But what's it really like on the inside? Well, according to this huge report out today, the Australian music industry has serious problems with sexual assault, discrimination and bullying. It paints a really horrible picture of how women especially are treated in the music scene. Do you work in music? What do you think needs to change to make the industry safer? Text me 0439 757 In a moment, we'll talk to Jaguar Jones. She basically sparked a Me Too movement in Australian music by sharing her story of alleged sexual abuse. So we'll get her thoughts on what the industry needs to do next. First, though, Angel Parsons is here to take us through the findings and a warning this story contains descriptions of sexual violence. I don't think anyone quite realises what you're going through. You have to put on a brave face because you can't appear as if you're not coping with your work. But underneath, you are broken and frightened. Today, heaps of responses and anonymous comments like this were released in a review of Australia's music industry. It was a first of its kind and looked into the prevalence of sexual harm, harassment and systemic discrimination. As far as we know, there's been nothing to this scale um, happened either in the music industry in Australia or any industry in Australia. This is Emily Collins. She's with Music New South Wales and is part of the group that oversaw the review. More than a year ago now, a bunch of people in the industry sat down to pretty much say enough is enough. They wanted to get an idea of people's experiences, from musicians to record label employees and all kinds of jobs in between. So the industry commissioned a review. It was led by an independent consulting company and more than 1,600 people got involved and had their say. And today we're hearing what they said. It's an industry built on the idea that women are entertainment. Women have to work 10 times harder to prove themselves. There's definitely pressure to be sexy. We call it the music tax, where you'll do anything or be paid anything to get the chance to make it or be involved with those that do. There were stories of discrimination, bullying and sexual assault. These were just a few. The assaults left me traumatised and I couldn't sleep. I used to wear men's clothes just to cover up as I'd been raped so many times. It's a real wake-up call for the music industry to know that these issues are quite pervasive and, um, you know, that real concerted, dedicated change is needed. There were so many findings including that 55% of people surveyed had experienced some form of workplace sexual harassment and sexual harm in their career. Sexual harassment mostly happened at music venues, but the review also found it happened in the office and work events. 
It found that women, young people and people of diverse backgrounds can be at particular risk of harm and poor employment practices. And bullying was experienced by three quarters of survey participants at some point. It is a really hard day for the industry to look at these stats and to read this report. I know it's going to be a very difficult day for a lot of people. The report is calling for major action on this issue and gave 17 recommendations to change the industry for the better. They include things like setting goals for gender parity at music festivals and events and setting up a council to oversee code of conduct to prevent sexual harm and discrimination. And as hard as all of this has been to hear, Emily reckons the review was a necessary moment for the industry and it could be a real turning point. I think there is a an understanding that we had a problem, which is why the report was commissioned. And I think, you know, that we have a way forward now is really what we were looking for. Emily also has some advice for young aspiring musicians who are female or gender diverse. I think this is the best time to join the music industry because, you know, if you can see so many organisations have backed this work and so many people have today come out and said this is not okay. It's a real um, watershed moment for the industry and I think something to, you know, give hope to people. Hack on Triple J. Angel Parsons reporting there. And if you or someone you know needs help, you can always call 1-800-RESPECT. And if you're a musician or someone in the industry, remember you can reach out to Support Act. They're on 1-800-959-500. You'll know my guest is the very amazing Jaguar Jones. Her real name is Dina Lynch. She's been a massive advocate in this space and was closely involved in the report we just heard about. Dina, this is a really big day. How do you feel about what the report says? Oh, it's obviously something that I was aware of with the advocacy I've been doing for years and with the stories that had come directly to me. But it has been a really hard day. It's obviously very confronting and distressing um, and has brought up a lot of my own trauma. But there's also relief too because so much hard work and sacrifice and energy has gone into um, bringing it to the point that we're at today. Um, And to have it out there uh, feels like a little win. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, like you talked about sacrifice and energy there. I mean, just the scale of how many people contributed was amazing. Like more than 1,600 people contributed to the report. Yeah, I think a review like this has never really existed before or, you know, definitely not in other music industries across the world. It's really difficult to conduct an independent review um, that is about the industry rather than like, you know, in an organization or in a business or a small community. Um, So I'm so proud of the consultants for being able to pull this off and, you know, doing such an exhaustive and robust work. Yeah, and the report, as you said, you know, a lot of people already knew that this was a problem, but we do now have this solid proof of how bad the situation is in the Australian music scene. And the next step, of course, is change. Do you think the industry is really listening and will this actually lead to change? Are you confident about that? Well, I guess I was advocating because I was riding on a hope that people will listen um, and now the music industry can't quite deny um, or hide from this anymore. I feel like the report gives an accountable measure uh, for us to be able to pin um, 
you know, pin against if they're not going to commit to change and action. There are recommendations that we can implement straight away. Um, and I think that's the next step uh, for the industry leaders to and people with influence to come together and use their power and resources to make that happen. You're listening to Hack on Triple J. I'm Ange McCormack filling in for Dave Marchese, um, talking to Jaguar Jones, Dina Lynch, about this really important report that's come out today about sexual harm and discrimination in the Australian music industry. On the Triple J text line, Kez, you say, not me, but I know people who have gone through so much and put up with it because they want their music out there. There is just too many horrible, sorry, but old men in the top jobs and this needs to change. It's so sad. That's Kez there on the text line. Uh, Dina, something that really stuck out to me was that music venues and festivals seem to be a really problematic place where sexual violence is a huge problem. And that's true not only for artists, but also for fans. How do you think we could improve live music spaces so they're safer for everyone? I think there needs to be education that despite it being, you know, an entertainment venue um, and a, it's still a workplace for people who are workers of the music industry and those lines can't be blurred um, and people need to understand what is inappropriate behaviour as well as that we need to implement protective systems and if, so that people feel safe to speak up and know that if they do speak up and put in a lodger complaint or report, that action will be taken to make sure that people are held accountable and that those spaces are a lot more safe. Mm, and it's just about the culture as well, right? Like, I don't, I don't know how, how we make that change happen, but making those spaces just... I don't know, places where you're not a dickhead. Like, that's yeah, nice. I think it really does come down to education. When you've been thriving in this toxic culture for so long, you have no idea what is right or wrong and what is inappropriate. And I think we need to really sit down the industry and people who abuse power and you know, lay it out black and white. Yeah. Uh, one recommendation in this report today was that um, to make sure things like music festivals and events have gender parity on their lineups, which I thought was really interesting. Uh, why is that important? You know, like how does adding more female artists to say Splendour or Falls make a difference? It's a, it makes a huge difference. I mean, I'm speaking as a musician um, and also as a woman of colour. Um, it's not only a gender parity, it's also, you know, other marginalised people who are not getting represented on festival, head, like, you know, billings. I really think it's important because it's about representation. If you're not going to give them the opportunity, then they can't, you know, continue to grow in their careers. You know, I get this kind of ignorant comment of like, oh, but men make better music. But that's not true. It's because women don't get the opportunity to showcase their creativity and their artistry in the same extent as men do. Yeah, and I think that report showed the sort of systemic problem that's here and you've got to, you know, change the representation so more people are inspired to take up bigger roles in the industry and that kind of thing, right? Um, Dina, your advocacy on this issue has been a really big part of your life in the past year. It's, it, you know, it's also helped shape some of your music and you can really hear it in some of your songs. I want to know what's next for you, though. Do you want your focus to be on your music or your advocacy or you kind of keep combining both? I think my advocacy will always inform my artistry. It always has. Um, it's what led me to music and art in the first place. But uh, I never intended to come into the music industry to have my advocacy be my number one focus. I'm really ready to let that responsibility go to those who are actually paid to look after and you know take care of the music industry, our leaders. 
I'm ready to just be an artist and have the freedom and without the burden of carrying this load, this emotional load, uh, and showcase what I have to offer um, as an artist of the Australian music industry. Uh, Dina, people listening right now might be, you know, wanting to get into the music industry, but hearing this report, it sounds like it doesn't paint a very good picture of the industry. It sounds like a pretty horrible place at times. What's your message for people that might be wanting to get into the industry, but are getting discouraged by hearing what it's like? I mean, obviously, it's it's a hard environment to operate in. But the other thing I learned from my advocacy is that there are wonderful communities out there. And I've been able to sharpen my boundaries and assert them better and be able to connect with some of the most amazing people um, that I have in my life that inspire me to push more and to do more. And they are out there. And I would I personally would say never let other people dictate what you should be doing. If you're passionate about something, then to go ahead and pursue it. Dina, thank you so much for your time today. But more importantly, thanks for your advocacy. It's had such a huge impact on the industry. So thank you. Thank you. That's Dina Lynch there, a.k.a. Jaguar Jones. On the Triple J text line, Billy from Canberra, you say, I'm an artist manager working in the Oz music scene and the review is a fantastic turning point for the culture of the industry. It's an enormous step forward and we should all be enormously thankful to the team that put this together. Hack. In the retail industry, there are over 40,000 job vacancies across the country. The largest growth in vacancies is actually within retail. On Triple J. We've talked a lot recently about jobs and work. Some of you are quiet quitting or taking up side hustles. And the bottom line for a lot of you is that you're just not getting paid enough. There's so many issues with jobs in Australia at the moment. There's the wages thing, but also problems with casual workers, penalty rates, the gig economy. I want to know how work is for you lately. Are you struggling to get enough work or to get paid enough? Text me 0439 757 Today, the government's decided to put on this big summit in Canberra to have a brainstorm and figure out all of these problems. So why should you care about a job summit? Is it just an excuse for politi- politicians to talk about stuff and do nothing again? Or will this actually change things? Hacks political reporter Georgia Hitch has more. Everyone, and especially young people starting out in the workforce, should have decent, secure, well-paid jobs. That's one trend. She's a lawyer at the Young Workers Centre in Victoria and was one of the only people at today's job summit who put the spotlight squarely on the need to improve young people's pay and job security. Let's make sure wages allow workers to live. Young workers' pay should not be related to their age, but to the skill of the work they perform. People here in Canberra have been in a flap about the summit because some of the heavy hitters from business and unions and government are all going to be in the same room to see if they can reach agreements and get ideas about how to fix some of the issues with our jobs market. It's focused on a few different areas like women's workforce participation and how to skill people up for jobs in clean energy industries. But one thing that kept coming up is how to make sure people have secure jobs that pay well so people don't have to, I don't know, work five casual jobs to make ends meet. Luke Riken is one of the lucky few who got an invite to the summit. He's the CEO of the Australian Youth Affairs Coalition. It has a definitely an interesting vibe. There are two people under 30, I think, myself and Yasmin Poole. A lot of people today touched on the worker shortage and how we can go about fixing that, including removing barriers to groups like women and people with a disability that prevent them from working more. 
But as Luke pointed out, no one made the same connection with the youth workforce. We definitely want to see more about the role young people can play, and it makes complete sense. The unemployment rate for young people is 7%. There is this huge resource there of young people who are really, really skilled, who have got TAFE degrees and university degrees, who are ready to start work. Luke and other advocates were hoping there'd be a few more younger faces at the summit. The Youth Minister, Anne Alley, says the government is listening to young people, which is why they held a number of feedback sessions across the country earlier this year. At all of the roundtables that we've had and all of the consultations that we've had, young people have raised the fact that um, they need more support to get into uh, meaningful and secure work and that once they're in the workforce, job security is is another issue for them. One of the practical ways the government could help young people with those issues is through a youth job guarantee, where young people who want work are hooked up with work or paid internships. Anne Alley says she really likes the idea of a job guarantee and that the government's new youth office will mean it and any other ideas that come up at the summit don't just get lost in the abyss. So even if there are things that are just scanned or or suggested at the Jobs and Skills Summit, there's an opportunity and a mechanism to take those things forward and realise them into actual policy um, and actual programs. On the skills side, the government announced yesterday it struck a deal with states and territories to fast-track 180,000 free TAFE places for next year. Eliza Littleton is a researcher at the Australia Institute and says there are other things the government could be doing right now. The government could directly intervene and increase the wages and specify specific working conditions in publicly funded sectors. Now look, if you're thinking this job summit sounds like one big chat fest to me, then you are not alone. Others, including the opposition leader Peter Dutton, aren't on board and they just don't think much will come from it. There's been no concrete promises yet from the summit, but the government has opened the door for changes to employment laws that unions and businesses say are key to getting better outcomes for workers. Eliza Littleton says talking about change is one thing, government's actually following through is another. But whatever happens kind of in this summit, the real test will be what happens in parliament and what uh, the government is ready to fight for. Hack on Triple J. Georgia Hitch reporting there. That job summit that Georgia was talking about is on again tomorrow in Canberra and we'll keep you updated on what comes out of that here on Hack and on our socials too. Chuck us a follow on Instagram to stay up to date with all the news. We're at Triple J Hack. Let's keep moving though and get into brown noise. You're listening to Hack. Brown noise is supposed to stop every thought in your mind. Basically, if you overthink or sort of talk to yourself in your head a lot, it stops that. On Triple J. I feel like you're either obsessed with brown noise or have no idea what I'm talking about. So if you are like, what the hell is she on about? Brown noise is kind of like white noise, but a bit more calming. And heaps of people say it helps them get to sleep at night, chill out or concentrate. Brown noise has taken off on TikTok and there's all kinds of advice online about how to clear your head and get to sleep. Are you into brown noise or do you have a different trick for falling asleep? Call me 1300 055536 or text in 0439 757555. In this sec, we'll talk, about, we'll talk all about sleep with an expert, so get your questions in about sleep too. First though, there's actually all kinds of noises out there that people are using to help their sleep and mood. So AJ Williams tried some of them out on Triple J Presenters. Don't worry, your radio isn't broken. Relax. But if you're on the clock app, aka Tiki Tack, aka The Talk, aka TikTok, no doubt you would have heard these sounds before. That's brown noise. 
and it's meant to help you with falling fast asleep. That one there, that's the calming sound, and it's meant to help reduce anxiety. And that's meant to help you be more productive. But I wanted to see if people actually use these sounds and if they really work. So I asked the most productive and hardworking person at Triple J. No, it's not Bryce and Ebony. It's the newsreader, Tim Shepard. Timmy, you must have listened to these productive sounds and stuff. (laughs) (laughs) I think what it does is it um, distracts you from getting too stuck in your own thoughts if you're trying to sleep and you keep rattling around things over and over and you can't relax. Sometimes these noises can sort of cut through that and then help you relax and fall asleep. Yeah, right. So it's definitely helped you out then. Yeah, yeah. I think it has helped, but like also then sometimes it can get a little bit annoying depending on what the noise is because they're all different, apparently. I don't know too much about the science behind them. What do you think of when you hear this sound? It's a little deep, isn't it? It sounds like, I don't know, you're in a car going through a tunnel. Yeah, it does. You know what it sounds like? It sounds like highway driving. The, the rumbling of the like the the humming of the tires on the road. Yeah, Tim reckons these sounds help him focus more. The other thing I think it's good for is say if you live in an area that's noisy, like in the city yeah. or near a train station or somewhere where there's lots of traffic, and then you go somewhere where it's quiet, it feels very unnerving. So then you can play those noises, and it sort of makes you feel like you're back at your own what you're used to. If brown noise isn't your thing, you might want to try pink noise. And it sounds like this. Pink noise is a low frequency sound. It's pretty similar to the rain noise. Triple J lunch presenter Dave Woodhead would probably be a fan of the pink noise because he used to listen to the rain hitting the tin roof sound a lot, which helped him sleep, like this one. Look, um, definitely during lockdown, uh, having trouble sleeping, um, so I got into the rain. Um, I think mainly I did it just because, like, I was definitely homesick for Darwin, and I think, like, you know, kind of classic Darwin wet season. You hear the sound of the rain hitting the roof. Um, so, yeah, that's pretty much what I listen to. So a few of the Triple J crew and you on TikTok reckon brown noise is for real. For real. But what does the science say? So, Ange, I'm going to leave you and your science guest with this brown noise thinking music in hope of getting an answer. Thanks for that, AJ. And thanks for this thinking music. It's going to help me and my guest concentrate. I'm here with Dr Gemma Paik. She researches sleep at the University of Newcastle. She also wrote a very interesting article all about brown noise on the conversation today. Gemma, is TikTok right? Is this brown noise we're hearing the secret to good sleep? 
Look, I think there's a yes and no to that answer. Um, for some people, it might be useful, um, but the science is sort of not 100% proven just yet uh, as to whether or not it actually works. Right. It does seem to work for some people, though, right? Like some people on the text line are saying this is, you know, it's the key to the good eight hours or whatever. Yeah, so it certainly can um, be useful and there's there's different theories as to why it might be useful. So one is sort of um, some of the things that have been talked about in the segment there um, is one is to sort of mask noises. Um, so if you're in a particularly noisy environment or you are used to certain sounds and then you go somewhere and it's a bit quieter, having some of that background noise that you're used to can be beneficial for your sleep. The other one is to sort of tune out your thoughts or sort of lull your brain away from thinking about everything that's going on. And a lot of times <laughs> yeah. we all have this problem, you know, you're lying in bed and you just can't turn up your brain. Um, and so sometimes noise can be useful for that sort of thing. Um, and then also, you know, the calming and, and relaxation. Um, so having a familiarisation with the sound, so the rain on the roof and then thinking of being in, in your hometown or whatever, that can sort of help relax you as well. So there's a, there's a lot of different reasons as to why it might be useful. Yeah, and you mentioned in your article that there's some evidence that these noises can improve memory. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, so there are some studies that have um, used what's called a, like an auditory stimulation. And this is basically where they monitor your brain activity during sleep. And then when you're heading into certain types of sleep stages and they're seeing certain brain activity happening, they'll play sounds of certain frequencies. And there's some studies that suggest that that can certainly help your sleep um, and then your memory and performance the next day. But it's a relatively new field and there isn't a lot of evidence showing that and they've done very small sample sizes um, in quite specific populations. So how generalisable that is and whether or not that's something that people will be able to do at home is a little bit um, up in the air at the moment. You're listening to Hack on Triple J. I'm with Dr Gemma Paik from the Uni of Newcastle. We're talking about sleep and talking about brown noises. Um, Tom, you've called in. Do you, are you a fan of brown noises to get to sleep? Absolutely. I use both brown noise and white noise. I've been using it for years to force. Oh, you use both? Yeah, absolutely. Like it's, in two it's, different I mean, years or something? Or No, I just put it on my phone. So I have it on as a timer for about an hour and a half and it just lets my brain switch off and also... Tom has dropped out there. Um, we'll go back to Dr Gemma Paik from the Uni of Newcastle. Um, clearly this works for people like Tom. Me, on the other hand, I'm not a fan, fan of this brown noise thing, but I do really love falling asleep to podcasts, like one with a really soft American accent really helps me get there. Um, and I feel like everyone has their own little recipe for getting to sleep. So it makes me think that there's no real one-size-fits-all strategy for getting good sleep, is there? No, there's not. Um, and a lot of the times we give very generalised advice and what might work well for some people doesn't always work well for others. Um, and I guess the other thing that, that's really important to note is that a lot of the times while we can do these things and they might be beneficial in the short term, if you kind of feel like you're having to do them all the time, um, then, then it might be worthwhile looking into um, getting some professional advice from your health professional because you know, it might have insomnia or insomnia-type symptoms or um, some anxiety and that can lead to other problems further down the track. So we want to make sure that we're getting those sorted out as well.
Yeah, and the reason, you know, people turn to things like brown noise on podcasts or whatever, it's because they're finding it hard to get to sleep. What's normal, like what's a normal length of time to get to sleep and when is it taking too long and you should start maybe, yeah, thinking about talking to your doctor about it? Yeah, so, you know, it's not uncommon for people to have a couple of restless nights a week. Um, I mean, I certainly do, so I'm not keen to that either. Um, It's when it becomes sort of every night, um, you know, if you're going to bed and you feel like you're really quite tired and you're lying there for sort of, you know, more than an hour and hour at a time, um, you know, that sort of suggests that there might be a problem. Generally speaking, most people, if they go to bed when they're sleepy, they'll fall asleep in sort of 15 minutes or less, maybe maybe a little bit more, okay, yeah. um, but anything longer than half an hour if you've been lying there and you're struggling, um, either get out of bed and do something else and return to bed when you're sleepy. And if it continues to be a problem and you're finding like that's really impacting your daytime functioning, so if you're really struggling the next day and it's making you feel anxious, then that's when you should go to your health practitioner or, or a health professional to get some further advice on whether or not you might have something else happening. Yeah, and this brown noise thing, it's just another sort of tech solution for us to try to get better sleep. And I've noticed heaps of like products marketed to us to get, you know, have a better night's sleep, you know, things like tracking apps, special pillows, alarm clocks to wake you up <laughs> gently. There's so much stuff out there. Um, you're an expert. Does any of that stuff work or is it just capitalism telling us we need to spend money to go to, se- to, go to sleep? <laughs> Look, I- I think a large proportion of it is capitalism. Okay. Um, there are certainly products that do work. Uh, usually these ones are marketed by sleep experts, mm-hmm. um, not not someone just calling themselves a sleep expert, <laughs> but someone uh, with proper qualifications in the area. Um, but they're not that many and there are a lot of different things out there and, and a lot of people will turn to them. Um, sleep has sort of become the new diet culture. Um, so where, you know, there was a lot of things around dieting and there still are. Sleep is kind of the next right so there's lots of things telling you if you if you buy this product it'll miraculously solve all your sleeping problems but the but truth probably is won't. If you, yeah <laughs> probably if, you, won't. if you have a sleep disorder it probably won't <laughs> that's yeah really good advice to take some um be a little bit cynical with those products that think can they can solve all your sleep woes dr Gemma paik thanks so much for speaking with me today on triple j Thanks for having me. Hack on Triple J. That was Dr. Gemma Paik there from the University of Newcastle. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of the Hack Podcast. I'll be back with you tomorrow.